Alright, today we're finishing up a series that uh, we've called Annoying People. And we, we've looked at different types of people that we have to come in contact with, that we have to deal with in our life that kind of rub us the wrong way and, and uh, annoy us. And so, you know, there's just certain ways that we have to respond and react to them. And the Bible's got some good advice for us on, on how to deal with some of these. And today we're going to start by looking at a passage out of Matthew chapter 15 in the New Testament. And this, there, there's a verse in this chapter that will show us the kind of person that we are dealing with today. And just in case you can't read the screen... You don't know who we're talking about today, or you're listening to this online. We're going to be talking about the hypocrite. All right, the hypocrite. Ooh, this is going to be fun, isn't it? <laughs> I know what you're thinking. So, do you guys know? Do you know anybody that that can be a hypocrite? Do you, do you know anybody like that? Let me ask you this: Can you be a hypocrite? Can you be a hypocrite sometimes in your own life? You know, we all can be. If we're not careful, we can all be hypocritical. And, you know, there are some people out there that use the excuse to not go to church or be involved in a church because they say, ah, oh, the church is just full of hypocrites. And that's all that's there is a bunch of hypocrites. And I always wonder about that. Is there a better place for them to be than in church? So, you know, in reality, all of us, we can be hypocritical at times. We can have those moments in our life. And in Matthew chapter 15, which we're going to read this in just a second, it'll be up here on the screen, it'll be on your listening guide too. But Jesus, He's speaking about the Pharisees, and He's actually speaking to the Pharisees in, in this passage here. And He says this in chapter seven, verse, excuse me, chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. He says, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, and then this is why he called them hypocrites, said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Okay, they, they honor me with their talk, but their heart is nowhere near me. He says their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So what he's saying is they are giving God this lip service, but they're not giving Him heart service. They're not following Him with their heart. They talk the walk, but they don't walk the walk. And it's very important that we understand that. He's saying these guys are spiritual posers. And we don't want to be spiritual posers in our life. We don't want to live that way. The Greek word is translated hypocrite, which the New Testament was originally written in Greek. It's translated over into different languages. But the Greek word that was... That was uh, translated as, as hypocrite, it literally means actor. And back then what they would do in the, in the plays, when they would put on plays and programs, is the person would play many parts during the play, and they would have these different masks, like on, on handles that they would just hold up in front, of their, in front of their face whenever they would play a different part. And so that person became known as a hypocrite because they had these masks in front of their face. So that's what an actor was. It was a hypocrite. Then I've heard that some of those masks were actually two-sided. So if they had to change characters real fast, they'd just flip it around, which gives the meaning to being two-faced. Alright, so it's, it's, a, it's a hypocrite. Now, hypocrites can come in all different shapes. They can come in all different sizes. 
And it might be the person at your work who claims to be a Jesus follower. He's involved in church. Or he says he's involved in church, and he is. But while he's at work, he swerves like a sailor, and he talks dirty about the women who are there at work. Or it could be someone at school in your, in your class who claims to be a Jesus follower, but every test that comes by, they cheat on every test. It could be a man or a woman who they have it going on spiritually. I mean, you look at them, you say, these people know what they're doing. They have it going on. You know, they, they, are, they, could, they are spiritual giants. They have it all together. But at home, they are talking negative and abusive, verbally abusive and demeaning to their spouse. They're not walking the walk. They're talking the walk. So how do we deal with these type of people who know the right thing to do, but they don't live according to God's teachings? How do we respond to that? Well, to help us deal with this, we're going to look and see how Jesus handled hypocrisy. And we're going to look at another passage out of Matthew chapter 23. And again, He's interacting with the Pharisees here. And if you ever study the ministry and the life of Jesus, you'll see that He had very little time for the Pharisees. Because they were the spiritual elite of the day. Okay? They, they acted like they had it all together. They followed all the rules. They followed all the laws. They had it all down, all the visible outside stuff. But as he said earlier in the passage we read, their hearts were nowhere near him. And so he had very little time for them. But as you read about his ministry, he hung out with, he loved, he interacted with the dirty sinners of the day. The people that nobody else would have any time for. Okay, those are the people that he hung out with. But the Pharisees, they were a different story. Now this is what it says in Matthew chapter 23. We'll start at verse 23. He says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. And in a moment he'll say, that's great that you do that, but they're missing something that's very important. And he says, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. Now those three things right there, if you look at those things, they all have to do with people and with relationships. They all have to do with how you deal with people. And so Jesus goes on to say, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides. Now just in case you're wondering, it's not good to have a guide that's blind. Because you're going to end up in the wrong place if you do. But he goes on and says, You strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. And it's amazing how, how hypocrites, people who can be hypocritical, they can zero in and focus in on the things that don't really matter and ignore the things that really do matter. And that's what he's talking about here. From this example, we can see a couple biblical principles that will, from, from Jesus that will teach us how to handle hypocrisy. And the first thing that we see is Jesus, He confronted hypocrisy. He, he confronted hypocrisy. And we can see many instances in the Bible where He did this. And, and wherever those, those people who knew the truth but didn't live the truth, Jesus confronted that. Okay, he confronted them on that. He confronted that hypocrisy. And the second thing that we see is Jesus, He majored on the majors. He confronted the big, dangerous, hypocritical sins. 
Now I'm going to say something that might get me in trouble, but I'm going to say it anyway. One of the reasons why Christians can have such bad reputations is because Christians often zero in on the things that don't really matter. They start nitpicking everybody apart, start nitpicking all this stuff, picking everything apart, and as a result, they are sinning in the way they relate to others. They're not relating into, with others as the way Jesus would relate to others. And they end up majoring on the minors. Jesus majored on the majors. Christians out of time major on the minors. So if we ever confront anything that we see as, as hypocritical, we've got to be careful not to do damage to the entire family of God. To do damage to the name of Jesus when we are confronting things that have to do more with preference than with substance. We've got to be careful about that. Let's say there's somebody in your life that you love. No, they know the truth. You know that they know the truth. But they aren't living it. And you realize you're very well aware that if they keep going down that path, if they keep living that way, they're in a very vulnerable situation. Okay, they are in a very vulnerable spot here. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 6. The first three verses out of Galatians chapter 6 for some guidance here. Now this, this is the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul's talking here and this is what he says. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another, if another believer is overcome by some sin... Now I want to stop right there for a second before we go on. Who's he talking about? Who's he talking about here? He's talking about other believers, isn't it? He's talking about other believers. He's talking about Jesus followers confronting other Jesus followers. Not Jesus followers confronting those who are not following Jesus or who do, do not know Jesus. And so, now I, I always wonder, how can we expect those people who don't know Jesus yet and that aren't living for Jesus... How can we expect them to live their life as if they are living for Jesus? That's where all the nitpicking comes in a lot of times. We need to confront them with love or treat them with love. Have a loving attitude, a loving respect towards them as we try to show them the love of God. So, so he's talking about Jesus followers confronting other Jesus followers here. And then he goes on and says, You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And then he gives us a warning here. It says, Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself because you're not that important. I like the way he talks. Now we can learn some, we can learn some principles here from this passage. And... These are very important. You know, these will help us as we confront the hypocrisy that we might see. That if you're ever going to confront somebody, if you ever feel compelled, feel being led by God to confront this hypocrisy, the first thing we've got to do is confront with caution. We've got to confront with caution. In verse 1 that we just read there, it tells us to restore somebody gently, and then it tells us to be careful because we ourselves might be tempted. That's kind of weird when you think about that, you know, that that would be hand in hand there. But when you think about it, it's true. Because the, the, the weird thing about it is when you put yourself into this position, 
you become especially vulnerable to the temptations of our spiritual enemy. Because you're putting yourself out there. And the first thing is, is you can fall victim to the sin of pride. Okay, I'm going to confront them because I know better. And so you can fall victim to the sin of pride. And the Bible tells us that pride goes before the fall. So we've got to be careful about that. So if you aren't careful, you could be tempted by the very thing that you are confronting. And your heart must be right. And it's got to be right because if your heart's not right, you know, you're going to be in that vulnerable situation. And it's going to get you. So first of all, you have to guard against pride. If you're ever going to do this, you've got to guard against pride. You have to make sure your heart is pure, that your motives are right, and that you're going into this with the other person's best interests in mind. What happens when we do this is we become spiritually arrogant. I know everything. I'm better than you. I I have all the answers. And if we go in with that attitude, we become vulnerable to temptation. So we've got to be careful. So confront with caution. Then the second principle is confront with the goal of restoration. You confront with the goal of restoration. Unfortunately, what happens a lot of times when we go into this situation is through our tone of voice or through the words that we use or our actions or whatever, we put off this underlying tone of condemnation. And it goes back to being careful, confronting with caution, don't be arrogant, that kind of stuff. We have this underlying tone of condemnation. We can. And what happens is those people who confront, I mean, they feel better. Well, you know, I did my I did my duty, and I feel I feel I feel good about that, and they feel this pride, but they condemn others. And we should never, ever do that. When we confront, we have to do it with the love of Jesus. And we have to do it with the Spirit of Jesus, not to condemn others, but to bring them to a point of restoration. Does that make sense? For example, let's say you know somebody so I gave you a, a kind of disclaimer at the beginning. It's kind of a, one of those tough messages because you know, it kind of hits us where we live a lot of times. But let's say that, uh, that you know somebody who claims to be a Jesus follower, but they happen to be having an affair. You could sit back, you could look at that, and you could think, man, it's none of my business. Or, who am I to judge? Which is a nice phrase that, you know, that's very politically correct these days. You know, who am I to judge? But you are biblically called to confront. Not in a condemning judgmental way but in a loving way and so you could go to that person you could say something like you know because I love you I don't want to condone what you are doing by being you know sitting here and being quiet about it I love you enough to confront you now I want to see what's best for you you need to change you need to repent repent of your sins go confess to your spouse get things you know make things right so you do that because your ultimate goal is restoration. It's restoration. Now the the, the Greek word again, the we'll talk about Greek 
just for a second right here, the, the Greek word that is translated as restoration there in Galatians chapter 6, it literally means to make better than new. So we do it to make better than new. And that's why our role as believers and as a body of Jesus, as one big family of Jesus that we all belong together, that's why it's so important. That's why we are important in the lives of each other. And so when God uses us to point things out like this, to confront, according to Matthew chapter 18, which I encourage you to read that when you get home. It's Matthew chapter 18. Or according to Galatians 6.1, which we just read here a moment ago, we confront with the goal of restoration. We want to make them better than new. God can use us to help them make their relationship with each other and with God better than new. So that's why we confront with the ultimate goal of restoration. James chapter 5, verses 19, it says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The goal is restoration. And then number three, you guys are saying, we're at number three already. All right. (laughs) Number three, confront with commitment. You confront with commitment. Now, this does not mean, okay, you need to hear this. This does not mean that you do your best Liam Neeson imitation from taking one or taken two, or taken three. (laughs) Probably taken four someday, I don't know. They're all the same, you you could pick one. But you don't do your best imitation of him where you you go to that person and you say, I'm committed to confront you or whatever the cost is to me. There's no place you can run, there's no place you can hide. I will confront you. (laughs) You don't do that. Okay, what we're talking about here is you do it with commitment to the person that you love. You're doing it for their the betterment of them. That's, that's where the commitment comes in. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it tells us, we read this just a moment ago, carry each other's burdens, and then this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. As we confront, we are, we're commanded to carry each other's burdens. Okay? And when two people carry a load, it makes it a little easier, doesn't it? makes it much easier when, when we do that. It becomes much lighter. And so when we confront, we don't just go to them and say, hey man, you are messed up, you are wrong, see you later. We don't do that. We confront them with commitment. We say, I'm here because I love you, because I want what's best for you, and I will be here for you, and I will help you through this no matter what. That's how we confront with commitment. Okay? Got all that? Up to this point, we've been looking outward. Let's turn this around a little bit, and this is going to get perhaps a little uncomfortable, but let's look inward. What if you are the hypocrite? Okay, what if you are the hypocrite? What if your life, your lifestyle, your actions, 
is hypocritical? What if you are the one who knows what is right to do, you know the truth, but you're doing the wrong thing? You're living the wrong way. There's a story from the Old Testament about King David. This is a good story. And as you, as you read this, and you can read the whole chapter when, when you get home, but King David, at this moment in time, he was supposed to be at war. Okay, he should have been at war. Out with his army. But David was not where he was supposed to be. So he saw something that he was not supposed to see, And so he thought something that he was not supposed to think, which led him to do something that he was not supposed to do. And what he did is he committed the sin of adultery. Now, Nathan the prophet, good name, Nathan the prophet, we're talking about earlier today, there's three Nates here today, so I've never been around so many Nates at one time. Nathan the prophet He loved David enough to confront him. And Nathan the prophet, he confronted David. And when he confronted him, he said, Okay, King David, let me tell you a little story. Once upon a time, there were two men. One of these guys is really rich. He had tons of sheep. He had tons of cattle. He had all sorts of stuff. The other was very poor. All he had was one little lamb. That's all all he had. He had raised it since birth. It was like his own pet. It would sleep with him. It was like a family member to him. His kids loved this thing. And, you know, this little lamb, it would, it would sleep by him in, in his bed at night. And he deeply, deeply loved this little lamb. Now, one day a traveler came by, came to the rich man, and said, I'm hungry. Will you give me something to eat? The rich man, instead of taking one of, of his thousands of lambs that he had, He took the one that belonged to this poor guy, the only one that he had, slaughtered it, cooked it, and served it to the traveler. Now David heard that story. And he could not believe that somebody would be so deplorable and so evil to commit commit this type of sin. And he just went off. Now he, he... he went in a, in a big rant, and this is out of 2 Samuel chapter 12. We'll pick it up at verse 5. It says there that David was furious, and then this is what David said. He said, As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And so you could see that he was, he was out for blood. I mean, David was upset. He was incensed that somebody would do something like this to this poor man. But it doesn't end there. Okay, it does not end there. Nathan sat there and patiently waited for David to work through his rant. And then he said in verse 7, You are that man. You took something that didn't belong to you. You did something that you should not have done. You are that man. If you are that man, or if you are that woman, and you know that you have been hypocritical in your life, you know, your words, your actions, your thoughts, and you've been hypocritical, I hope that you are sensitive enough 
to feel the conviction of God. So it's time to repent. You know, if we call ourselves Jesus followers, we should probably live like Jesus followers, shouldn't we? We should probably live that way. Deal with the sin. Deal with the hypocrisy. Now here's the good news. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So today, as you're in the presence of God, come humbly before Him. Okay, I encourage you to do that. Go before Him. Confess. Repent. Because we want to be the real thing. We want to be true Jesus followers. Right? We don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to be hypocritical. We can't be perfect. Okay, There's no way that we can be perfect. But with convicted hearts, come before God and repent. Confess. Repent and let God make you better than new. Let Him restore you. The good news is, is that Jesus, He came to this earth to offer all of us forgiveness for our sins. And you know what? That includes hypocrisy. He can give us forgiveness for that. And when you confess your sin to God and you repent of it, which repent literally means you turn from it, you turn away from it, and you turn your back to that, and you go a different direction. When you do that, the Bible tells us God remembers your sin no more. And why does He not remember it? Because at that point, it becomes under the blood of Jesus Christ. It is nailed to the cross with Him. You are forgiven. Ask God to give you the power to live, to overcome that temptation, to overcome it, to not fall into that trap again, to not be bound by that. And it's possible that, that, that some of you, uh, maybe you know somebody like this, maybe this, uh, this applies to you, but you know it's possible for some people to be in a pattern for so long, living a certain way for so long, reacting, responding a certain way for so long that they think there's no way out of it. They think that that's just how it's got to be. That's just how it is that they are stuck there. And if that's you, you might be sitting there thinking, I am so weak. I can't get out. I am weak. Well, if that's you, I want to, take, I want to say to you, congratulations. I mean, if you... Understand that. You know, if you realize that you are weak, congratulations. Because when you are weak, his strength is made perfect. Now I got some news that might be shocking to some of you. Every single one of us are sinners. That includes you. Every single one of us, we fall way short of God's standards. Some of us. We're forgiven. We belong to the family of God. Others may very well right now feel the heaviness of their separation from God. And if you feel that, that means you are under conviction right now. And that is a good thing. That's a good thing. 
You see, the problem is we cannot work our way to God. There's no possible way that we could ever work our way to God because we can't be good enough. That's why the Bible calls what Jesus did for us, it calls that the good news. And the good news is, is that God in His incredible, infinite love and mercy that He has for us, He did something for us that we are incapable of doing for ourselves. And he came to this earth... He became one of us in the form of His Son, Jesus, who lived a sinless life, took all of our sin upon Him, nailed it to the cross, shed His innocent blood as a perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. Now by accepting Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, we become justified with God. We become justified with Him. And it's not because of our own righteousness. It's not because of what we have done. It's not because anything anything that, that we can do is because of what Jesus did. Okay, he died for us in our place. He died in our place. You can never, ever, ever be made right with God by good works. It's only... By His grace, through faith. Now, if you'd like to talk to somebody about that, to know what that means, to know what to do, you know how to accept that, how to experience that, you can see me afterwards. And I'd love to visit with you. But in just a moment, we're going to have a time of communion, which is where we remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and it represents His body that. He willingly gave and His blood that He lovingly shed for us. And we do this every week here at Real Life to remind us what's important, to get us back on track spiritually, and to just, like I said, remind us what everything is about. And so if you've already stepped across the line and you've made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you're more than welcome to take part in the communion or Lord's Supper today. You don't have to be a partner or a regular tender here. We just want to make it available to you. Or if you don't want to take it, you don't have to take it either. And we just want to make it available to you. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, if as we've been talking about this today, if you have laid a person upon our heart,